speaking with you guys are just always considerate and uh, an honor to be here and, and to share with you. I was trying to kind of figure out what to share with you guys uh, this evening. And, uh, and so um, I, I just like I was thinking this last week, what, what are some of the things that God's been teaching me? And one of the big things that I've been focusing on, and I feel like God just continues to bring to my attention, is this idea about heaven and eternity, and just thinking about what that will be like for us. What, what, what will it be like? I've, I've been thinking about this, partially because we've, we've had some, some folks around us who've had some like health challenges. We've had a few folks around us who've, uh, who've passed away uh, recently. And, um, and then, you know, and also I've just, I've been getting older, you know, and I don't know what happened, but like at some point, like, I'm not sure this didn't happen in my twenties, but more recently now, I'm just like thinking about like eternity. I'm thinking more about this stuff, you know, probably for obvious reasons. And so just thinking more about heaven now, of course, growing up, like I, I had really weird ideas about heaven. I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but like, it's, you know, pretty common, I, you know. I got most of my theology from like far side cartoons and like <laughs> TV shows and like uh, movies and books and stuff. Not a lot of books, didn't read a whole lot, more movies and TV shows and stuff. Um, but uh, but uh, it was most of my thoughts about heaven, what eternity is going to be like, kind of derived from a lot of that. Um, and that's kind of messy. Although The Good Place, if you guys haven't seen that, this is actually a really good show. It's funny. Uh, you know, Ted Danson, Kristen Bell, they're hilarious. Okay. Uh, but definitely, I mean, none of this, like, clarifies things. Muddies the water more than clarifies things, what we know and what we can look forward to when it comes to heaven. So, so that said, I think part of the reason for that is, is because um, the Bible is actually kind of mysterious when it comes to this. There's not a whole lot in the Bible about heaven and what we can expect and all the details and things that sometimes we would like to know. And so it's actually a little bit difficult to get a good handle on it. And so even for Christians, I think it's really natural for us just to kind of like have this idea that heaven is something that we look forward to, but we kind of just like file that somewhere in our brain and tuck it back somewhere in the back corner of our theological, you know, idea. And it's like, yeah, there's a heaven and God's there. And I think I'm probably going to be there too. Um, but, you know, and eventually we're going to revisit this when we maybe get a little bit older or when something happens. But, you know, I've just been kind of thinking about these words that Paul says. And I want you to listen to this. This is something that Paul says to us, whether we're young, whether we're old, whether we're healthy, whether we're not. Paul says this, this is 2 Corinthians 4.18. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. So we fix our eyes on this, okay? It's kind of like he's saying, when we consider the afterlife, this isn't just something that we think about when we absolutely have to. And we have no other choice but to think it. It's not like an afterthought that comes later, right? He says, he says right now, like in our lives, as we're living, doing life, we fix our attention on this. We sit with it. We, we contemplate it. We uh, meditate on it. We marinate in it, you know, throughout life. And so, and so what I've found as I've just, the Lord's been leading me into some deeper thinking around this is that 
is that this has been something that's actually been really enriching for me personally, and so I wanted to share it with you, some of the things that I feel like he's been teaching me. But, um, but it's a bit of a challenge, and I think there's maybe a few reasons for that. Um, for, for one thing, um, I, I've, I've noticed that it's not very like trendy within Christian circles to be talking about heaven and eternity as much these days. You know, For a while, this was like a really big focus, in churches, in Christianity, uh, you know, in figuring out where you're going to go when you die and that sort of a thing. And so we talked about that a lot. And then people were kind of like, like, wait a minute, you know, we're all just like punching our ticket to heaven and singing, I'll fly away. And it's like, and the earth below us is on fire. And, you know, we've got to do something about what's happening here on earth, too. And so a lot of us start thinking a little bit more about the present needs here on earth, poverty and injustice and creation care, and that's, I think, been a really, really good correction for us as a church. The, maybe the downside is maybe the pendulum could have possibly swung a little bit too far. It's a little less common to think about what happens later, eternity, that sort of a thing. So that might be one challenge. Maybe a second is just, you know, kind of the reality of our, of our busy lives, because we all have, like, you know, some of us, we've got kids or, or jobs or you know, a lot of things on our plate. And so even just kind of taking the time to consider eternity is like a luxury that maybe we don't have, you know. And so, so that might be a factor. And then a third thing, just thinking about heaven and eternity, um, this usually takes us down the uncomfortable road of thinking about death also, right? Which is not something that we enjoy thinking about for good reason. Like, even as I was kind of preparing for today, I was like, should I be talking about this? This is like summer, you know? I don't know. It feels a little weird. I don't know. Too late now. We're talking about it, okay? Because, you know, but it's uncomfortable because death, death sucks, you know? It just, it just, no matter, like, how much faith you have or how much hope you have or, or wherever, it's, like, still really scary when you're up against that. Or when it's someone you love, it still is just heart-wrenching. No matter how much faith you have, no matter how much hope you have. And so naturally, just as humans, we just, we just kind of bristle against that. And we tend to avoid thinking about death for as long as we can. Now, you take that sort of natural tendency to kind of do this when it comes to the idea of death. And you take that within the historical context of where we are as a people. I think it's sort of interesting historically what's changed in about the last hundred years or so for all the benefits of modern life life that we have, modern medicine, technology, and it's like we're in the like, safest environment that we've ever had in human his history, you know, it's also sort of allowed us to, as we have elongated our lives, to delay thinking about death and eternity for longer stretches of our lives, right? Okay? So, like, I was reading about how, like, families back in, like, colonial America, uh, they lost about, like, one out of every three children before they became adults, Think about that. One out of every three children, you'd either like die in childbirth, or you get the flu, or you get kicked by a horse, or something. it's like it was just like a dangerous, dangerous world. The average age was like 40, right? Like people in most of human history just grew up being very used um, to death, being around them. Okay. Of course, I'm very happy for the change. I'm sure that you are too. Yeah. Um, but, but it does kind of leave us in this really strange moment, this cultural moment in, in the course of human history. This is something Tim Keller says. I think it's really helpful. He says, he says, modern people are more unprepared for death than any people in human history, right? And as I reflect on that, 
I think, man, I think that that's true of me. I mean, I know better. I know all the right stuff. But then at the same time, like in my heart, I think I can still sort of woo myself into this idea, this like fantasy sort of that death is something that happens to other people. And I'm pretty much just going to live on forever, you know? And then, and then you look at scripture, and it's like, no, no, you know? It's just constantly reminding us that, like, you know, James 4.14 says, your life on this planet is a mist, you know? It's a vapor. It's, you're here one day, and then it's, it's not going to last. Or maybe it's a health scare that kind of shakes you, you know? And so all of those things, that... That jolt of reality, that can do one of two things for you, you know? It can, it can shatter you, it can demoralize you, it can depress you, or it can, like, shake you enough that you begin to sort of recenter your heart and recenter your mind and recenter your hopes and your loves and your longings onto something that's so much richer and so much more firm. And I believe that that is the hope of eternity that we have with our Father in heaven. And so, and so for the rest of my time, I'm not going to talk too long. For the rest of our time, I just want to think about this eternal promise that we have with Jesus. I want us to think deeply about this. I want us to imagine this, okay? Because I think when we allow ourselves to fix our attention, to fix our eyes on that, I think that not only equips us in how to die well someday in the future, I think it teaches us how to live well now, okay? Uh, My favorite description of this, uh, it comes out of John 14, and so we're going to be hanging out there today. Um, This is Jesus. This is uh, um, the day before he faces his own death. He's hanging out with his disciples. This is the upper room discourse, if you're trying to map this onto where it falls in the story. And he's talking with his disciples. This falls right after uh, he has uh, just washed his disciples' feet. And he's teaching them. This is kind of what's going to be, this is what you can expect. This is what you can anticipate in the days and the weeks and the months and everything that moves forward, okay? And so he says this to his disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he says this. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you? And so Jesus here, he's sort of painting this picture. I mean, like a very light sketch, not a full color picture. He's painting this picture of eternity, and he describes this as my father's house with many rooms. Now, our immediate impulse when we hear him say something like that, we take this verse and we try to sort of like map this onto our own experience of a house, right? We're thinking about like our house with bedrooms and an office and a kitchenette and those sorts of things. This isn't exactly what he's after. It was even more confusing when, you know, everybody kind of used the King James version because the verse in the King James, anybody know what it says back there? In the King James, it says, in my father's house, there are many mansions, which sounds way cooler, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so imagine looking forward to that. But really, you know, when you look into this, okay, what Jesus is actually pointing our attention to isn't so much about the quality of the accommodations, right? It's not like, okay, here's your reward. 
You get a walk-in closet, you know? <laughs> it's not about the place. It's more about, like, this feeling. He's drawing our attention to this deep, like, soul craving, this feeling of a home, okay? This word that he uses here for, uh, for place, the place that he's preparing, it's, uh, it's not a word that describes a really specific type of house or dwelling. It's actually a very generic word, but the idea behind it is just like a comfortable living environment, which could be a lot of different kinds of things. It's a feeling of a home, because there's a difference between a house and a home, right? Right? We live in houses, um, apartments, or you know, tents, or whatever, but, but they become homes when we fill them with really good memories and with great people around us and, and love and that sort of thing. That's, that's what it becomes a home, right? But what happens is um, we have a hard time settling into those homes, right? Some homes uh, that we come from are, are broken. Some homes are unsafe places, and so we look for something a little bit better. Others grew up with a little bit more stable situations, or we have really stable environments now, but still, you know, don't we have a hard time settling, you know, with wherever we're at? Like, we have a pretty nice house, I think. It's a home for us. We've got great kids and family and wonderful memories and pictures and like we've got the you know growth charts on the door jams and just the whole you know nine yards uh but i still am like constantly looking around and being like man we really need to update that bathroom and it's like man we you know joanna Gaines says we need more shiplap over here and you know and that sort of thing and so it's really hard i think to kind of like settle uh, it's like it's like you never really feel like you've arrived right you never feel like you've, like, you never get to the point where you're like, now this is the home I always dreamed of. It never happens. It never happens, you know? It, I think this is why, like, Zillow.com is so popular and all the Property Brothers and all that stuff, you know? And I'm not criticizing any of that, by the way. I love all that stuff. I'm all into home improvement and that sort of thing. My point is, I think that that drive, the reason that we kind of do that is because there's this deep thing within us it's this persistent inner quest for the home that we haven't yet found. You with me? Yeah. Okay. Um, C.S. Lewis has this great quote in his book, uh, The Great Divorce, okay? And he's talking about this um, idea that all human beings have this uh, innate um, nostalgia. Or it's, um, or it's like, uh, what's that called? Oh, deja vu right? This like faint sort of like memory or dream of a feeling that we never really experience, but we still miss it, okay? And so he's kind of talking about this idea that this is something that just drives human beings. And he talks about it. He has this wonderful quote. He describes it like the scent of a flower that we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, or the news from a country we have never yet visited. Okay? This is, I think this is what Jesus is drawing our attention to with this idea of the Father's house with the many rooms and so forth. He's saying, like, I'm going to prepare a home for you. And by the way, when I prepare this home, this is actually the real home that you've longed for and that you've been craving your whole life but you haven't been able to find and you haven't been able to reproduce. 
And so he says, let, let not your hearts be troubled. This is what awaits you, okay? Jesus, he's made a home for you, right? Now, here's the surprising part, right? Uh, verse 3. Jesus says, and if I go and I prepare a place for you, if I go, if I prepare this new home for you, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to, and if I were to finish this verse, I would probably say something like, and I will take you to heaven, or I will take you to your new home, this place that you've always dreamed of. But no, Jesus doesn't say this. What does he say? I will take you to myself. Say that again. I will take you to myself. Are you catching this? Super important. Listen. Jesus is the home that your soul craves. Jesus. He's the home that we long for. He's the peace that we're searching for. He's the scent of the flower that we haven't found. He's the echo of the tune that we haven't heard. He is, he is our eternal home. It's a trippy idea, right? And you can imagine the disciples, they're, you know, they're wrestling with this too and trying to put it all together and figure it out. But I think actually, like on a heart level, um, there's a way in which it seemed to sort of make sense to them. Because for them, they've actually been with Jesus this whole time. Remember, I mean, they, they've been walking with him for three years. And so um, they know how much their soul craves for Jesus, there's this really telling scene that happens in the chapter just before this scene where um, they're sitting around the table. This is just after Jesus washes all the disciples' feet, and they're sitting there. And John, he's the author of the book. He's sitting with Jesus. And my translation says that he's reclining at the side of Jesus, but, but literally it says that he was reclining into the bosom of Jesus, which is, which is kind of a different picture, Right? And you can see why a lot of people don't translate it that way because it almost sounds like romantic or kind of weird in a way, you know? And, but I don't think that's what it was for John. I think he just, he, would just, he just really, really, really loved Jesus. You can just see him just like nestling in, like feeling at home with Jesus. You can, you can picture this. John just like snuggling into deeply into his chest and like listening to the beating of, of his heart. And so when Jesus says, like, I will, I will come again, and I am going to bring you to myself, this is great news for a guy like John, right? It's, I mean, it's amazing news for a guy who left everything, his whole home, his whole family, is followed. Jesus is his home. He knows this is what my soul craves, Right? This is how it is for us too. Whether you realize it or not, your soul craves 
forever being with Jesus. Like all the popular pictures of heaven and eternity and things that we have and what are we going to do and we're going to play golf all day or whatever the thing, you know, that, that, you know, I think those are actually fine questions, but man, I just believe, I just believe it is so much richer and so much deeper than that. There's so much more that we have to look forward to. I was sitting with uh, my daughter, Rebecca, she's my seven-year-old, and, um, and we were talking about like um, God just sitting on the couch, and uh, she was asking me this. Uh, she asked me, so she asked me, what is, "What's heaven going to be like?" And um, she's also kind of my like snuggling kid, you know. My other one's not as much, but she's like really into that. And so I, I like grabbed her and I like pulled her in, really tight, and uh, and I just gave her this really big hug, and I said, um, "I think it's going to be kind of like this with Jesus." Like forever. And then like after a second, she goes, this is weird. <laughs> I said, I know. <laughs> like, the real thing will be way better, I promise, you know. <laughs> but this is, you know, this is sort of my lame way of trying to describe the indescribable. Because my goal is for my kids and really for everybody that I'm encountering, I, like, I want them to fall in love with Jesus, not just because um, this is how we enter heaven, but because his presence and his heart is the hope of heaven. He is the reason, he's the way, he's the guide, and he's the destination. Yeah. I love how um, there's a guy named Dane Ortland. And he wrote this amazing book. Actually, this is a great time if our worship team wants to come back up. Um, there, he writes this great book called uh, Gentle and Lowly. If you haven't picked it up, this is a great one for you to grab. Um, but, uh, but he, he um, yeah, just writes this amazing book about the heart of Jesus and his heart for all of us. He has this great quote at some point in the book, and I'm going to read this really slowly because every word that he says here is like dynamite, just pops off the page, right? And so, um, so he says this. Let's see if we, do we have this on the screen? Yeah, okay, there we go. He says, um, he says, the reason for the creation of the world was to give vent to the gracious heart of Christ. In other words, the reason why we had a creation is because God's heart was so full of grace. Jesus' heart was so full of grace and love that it had to pour out somehow, and it poured out by making all of us. The creation of the world was to give vent to the gracious heart of Christ, and then this is the follow-up. And the joy of heaven is that we will then enjoy that unfettered, undiluted heart forevermore. I just want you to pause on that for a second. Guys, if that's true, 
that trumps everything else that we think is important here on earth. Everything. Everything that we do, everything that we love, everything we put our heart to is about this one thing. Enjoying the unfettered, undiluted heart of Jesus forever. You know why we come, you know, you want to know why we worship here as a community? It's because we want to enjoy the heart of Christ forever. All right? And we get to start doing that here. You want to know why we share Jesus with people? It's not out of judgment. It's not out of like, I know the right way and you're wrong or any of that. It's because we know that the hope of humanity is to enjoy the heart of Christ forever. And people don't know it, but that's what they're made for. We're all made for us to sink deeply into the presence of Jesus forever. And nothing in this world is more important than that. Nothing. Nothing's more important. And our hearts are going to lie to us, and they're going to tell us that we're missing something else. And if you're poor, you got to figure out how to be rich. And if you're humble, you got to figure out how to have more pride. And if you're single, then you got to get married to actually be a complete human being. But it's, that's all a lie. That's not actually what your soul craves. You understand? That's not what your soul craves. Your soul, it craves Jesus. It craves Jesus, him alone. He is your home. He is your home. And he's inviting you home. Okay? He's inviting you home. I want you just to imagine this moment with me, okay? Imagine yourself entering into his presence and just sinking deeper and deeper into Jesus' heart. Imagine Jesus saying to you as we were singing earlier, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Just imagine this. Guys, when we do that, like this is the way that we fix our eyes on eternal things and just think about it and just explore it and just marinate in this, okay? We just, we just practice enjoying Jesus, tasting his presence. And the grace of God and the grace of Jesus, he allows us to do that today. Every day, we get to just come into his presence. We fix our hearts a little more on him. We learn more about how not to be distracted by some of the other stuff. And I think this is actually what it is to be a Christian. And so just imagine, like, if all of God's people, if we all just kind of started doing that, like, that would change everything, right? If we were all just thinking about eternal things, focusing our hearts on Jesus, it would affect the way that we think about our, our life, about our death. It would change how we treat each other, love people, how we engage in politics and spend money and, you know, all this stuff. Like, the more that I'm thinking about eternity, the more I find myself just adjusting my priorities and my worries and my values to fit, like, that ultimate goal, right, of enjoying the unfettered, undiluted heart of Jesus forever. And I think that's his, his invitation for us. He's like, it's like, we can come and we can just like taste this, right? This is a beautiful thing that Jesus says. He says, where two or three are gathered, then I'm going to be there in the midst of you. My presence is there for you. You get to enjoy me. 
This is like a little slice of heaven that we get to experience here on earth when we gather together. He wants us to taste the home that we long for. So no matter what your present life is, what, what, your, what your past is, your current home life, um, Jesus is inviting you near. He's inviting you to come near. So let me just pray for us together as we just draw near to the Lord. As we draw near to Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. want to share something for, I was feeling for, there may be some of you who just felt like you've been distant from God and you're not sure exactly why. Um, and, and so I felt like maybe the Lord was sharing that, um, um, that God actually wants to shorten the gap between you and him. If there's any kind of perceived gap, he's actually moving closer to you. And so as you move toward him, he's actually moving closer to you. And so if that's something that's meaningful to you, I just want to say a prayer over you right now. Lord, we pray for a movement of your heart. Lord, we pray that your presence would come into this place and that you would be felt in a tangible way right now, Lord. We pray for um, just a closeness in a heart that some of this room are going to feel that they've felt in a very, very long time. Lord, we pray that your presence would be known we pray that your love would be known. Lord, draw near to us today. I just pray for anybody who's feeling any sort of anxiety or feeling stuck in any way. Lord, I pray that you would just speak deeply to our hearts. And, um, <laughs> and Lord, we pray that you would just release the burden of that. I pray for enlightening in this room. Some are carrying um, some things around on their shoulders that they don't need to carry, Lord. And Lord, I pray that, that you would be able to lighten that load. Lord, that you would even carry some of these things that others are carrying around. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your son Jesus and for all that he's done for us. 
We thank you for the cross. And God, I'm so thankful that we can place our hope in you. There's so many other things that we try to put our hope in, I try to put my hope in. And God, thank you for the reminder just to always place my heart, my whole hope in you and you alone. Lord, draw us near to you today. We're thankful for you. 